Welcome to another episode of the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. It's good to have you all back here with us again. And I'm sure that as the show opened today, you noticed something different. You know, Marcus, I, I like to say this as we open the show this time that, um, you know, you and I have kind of been tweaking the show as we've gone along, especially recently. There have been a number of tweaks that we've made to it, not only after we came back to start recording shows after we were on hiatus for a while, it was because of COVID that forced us into into that hiatus, as as you all in the audience know. We um, expanded the show from 30 minutes to an hour, um, which has been a lot of fun. But what I have noticed, Marcus, we still run out of time with our guests because the conversations get really good, don't they? Yeah, indeed. You know, we've made several tweaks over the years. Thinking back to those uh, those 30 minute shows that we used to do, um, I, I would I would think to myself, man, if only we could be to have 30 more minutes, you know, we could <laughs> flesh out so much more and 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 dive so much more deeply. But uh, now that we've been within the hour format now for well over a year, um, I'm now feeling the same thing now that I felt in the <laughs> yeah. 30 minute format. So. I don't know, maybe an hour and a half. So you all can give us your feedback and tell us what you think about that. Yeah. One of the things that happens to Marcus and I is that the conversations spill over into a phone call after we have, have actually been in the studio or come together now via Zoom to actually record a show. So we've been tweaking it. And we also tweaked how we introduced the show because we went to kind of the cold open model, Marcus. And um, it's been fun to do the cold opens to write the, uh, the script for the cold opens it, it, I've heard from a number of people who are regular listeners to the show that those cold opens have been very thought provoking yeah I definitely definitely and I, I I would just say one thing that our listeners should know um, about Dr. Waters and the phone calls that he just referenced <laughs> um, a moment ago so what tends to happen is during these phone calls which happen subsequent to a, a recorded show uh, Dr. Waters takes that as an opportunity to correct me on what I've got wrong about him. So, uh, no, but yeah, I, I, the, the, the code opens are fun, and I think that they really are helpful for framing um, these conversations that we've been having, um, which I think really require clear framing. So I'm excited to see that the code opens have been received so well. Well, we didn't need to have a code open today to frame the conversation. I think that this is going to be a really fun show that we're going to have. But as you heard the show open today, you heard a new piece of music title of that song uh, that piece of music jazz marcus and i are real big jazz fans especially marcus the title of that piece is called leroy which is done by the band decor we're going to be talking with members of that band today they have given marcus and i the great privilege and honor of now having that song as the official theme music for the waters and harvey show now marcus and i have to talk a little bit about um how that came to be we have been in great conversations with with the team at blue ridge public radio and marcus i would like to just take the time again to thank the team at Blue Ridge Public Radio for all of the work that they do to put the show together. I mean, it's uh, watching Matt Bush kind of behind the scenes as he kind of edits the show and puts it together has been great, you know, kind of uh, to be in that relationship with Matt. And I think about Catherine and everyone else is there. Um, but, you know, we began to have conversations about, you know, the what would be the next phase of the Waters and Harvey show? I have been, uh, it's been great to get the feedback from you all to talk with people across the state 
um, who have heard the show and are listening to the show. And Marcus and I want to continue to build um, the audience for the show. And so that invited a conversation about having an original piece for the show. And so Marcus and I you know, kind of played with that. But Marcus, let me just let you jump in here and just share your thoughts with that yeah, about I, that conversation. I, I, no, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's high time that uh, you know uh, we we sort of arrive at an original piece for the show. I think that um, that what we do on the show, um, the show itself, uh, is really something that is unique, right, mm-hmm. across the, the the national landscape of um, of radio shows and podcasts. And I have to say, uh, from my own sort of selfish perspective, being not only um, a, a big jazz fan but somewhat of a jazz snob, I'm <laughs> kind of admitting that. Um, you know, I, I I was particularly thrilled um, when I. Um, was acquainted with uh, what will now be the theme music for for our show. So um, I, I just I couldn't be more thrilled. Um, I'm also a huge fan of, of Herbie Hancock. So um, right, right. Part, of me, part of me is sort of lamenting the, the loss of, of, of Herbie's of Herbie's piece. But I'm I'm equally, if not more excited about about Leroy and, and also grateful to BPR for um, the conversations that that we've had around um, changes that we're making moving forward. Right. So, you know, we'll be talking with members of of the band, the core, in just a few minutes about this song and about some of their other work as well. And one of the things we, Marcus, and we thought this this gave us the opportunity again to kind of talk about why you and I came together to do this show. This has been, I think, one of the uh, one of the greatest and best experiences of my life is not only deepen our friendship, but our intellectual friendship as well. Um, and it's, you know, again, I, I think great to hear the feedback that we get from listeners who talk about the dynamics of our relationship. And you should know, you know, as Marcus just did, he likes to take pot shots at me every now and then when he gets the chance. So, you know, I'm prepared. I'm trying to kind of uh, be prepared for those pot shots when they come. But, you know, doing this show really gave us an opportunity to think about why we did the show from the very beginning and because we're nearing 100 episodes of the waters and harvey show and we've been thinking about okay how do we do the 100th show but um here we are talking about this new thing, music, but also reflecting on why we started the show. Um, I think it's meaningful and fitting that we do that now because um, many of our listeners may not know and many may, because I think we have mentioned this before, that we started the show at WRES, which was a local low-powered radio station here in Asheville, North Carolina, um, a show, uh, a radio station that as a kid growing up here in Asheville, I grew up listening to. And Marcus and I just said, look, we wanted to get outside the ivory tower with the work that we do at UNC Asheville to talk directly to the community because there's so much exciting stuff, Marcus, going on at UNC Asheville. I think a lot of people in the community sometimes miss that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when I think about the genesis of the show, you know, I remember arriving in Asheville in 2013, not really knowing what to expect, not knowing a whole hell of a lot about UNC Asheville, or what the university was about. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Waters sort of reached out to me um, kind of out of nowhere. Um, and we, we sort of began, we kind of uh, built a friendship uh, very quickly, which is kind of unusual for me. Um, and that friendship was really built around um, ongoing conversations, right, about our respective disciplines, Darren being a historian, me being a religion scholar, um, um, and sort of connecting our respective research ag- um, agendas to what was going on in the world, 
right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so um, uh, at one point, the thought sort of occurred to us, you know, you know, we're having these great stimulating conversations as scholars. Uh, what if we try to make these conversations available to a broader lay audience, right? Mm-hmm. What, what would it mean to translate our technical disciplinary uh, research um, in a way that is accessible, right, mm-hmm. to the broader um, community? And so, you know, therein uh, lies the genesis of the Waters and Harvey show. And you mentioned um, Elder, Elder, late, the now late um, Elder John Hayes. Were it not for his generosity, um, encouragement, and support at WRES, um, and and sort of you know helping us to to launch this 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 project um, and what 2014 is hard to do. There will be no waters in Harvey Show. That's right um, at all. So I'm I, I you know my I, I'm I'm eternally grateful to 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 Elder Elder Hayes for for what he contributed to the show. Uh, without him, the show would not be um, what it is uh, uh, today. And I, I would also add that. Uh, <laughs> This, this whole notion of, of me launching pot, pot shots at my colleague, Dr. Waters, this is only a response to him having started this tradition, um, you know, seven years ago. So, Well, you know, Marcus, I'm glad you bring up Elder Hayes. And I know that many of our listening audience, especially here locally, are if you're in any part of Western North Carolina, you're going to know who Elder John Hayes was. And he died two weeks ago. I think it's about two weeks ago he passed away. But you're right. The show would not exist exist without his generosity and without his um, his the, the effort that he put into it. I wanted to talk about, you know, this changes the changes, Marcus, in, in our music. So when we went to WRES, the first piece that we used to introduce the show and working with Elder Hayes on this is we we used uh, a song from uh, one of my favorite R&B singers, who is the, the late Gerald Levert. You know, it was the son of Eddie Levert, who was a member of the OJs. I mean, people remember that band. One of my favorite groups, R&B groups out there. But we, you know, just before he died, his last album, Eddie uh, Gerald Levert's last album was titled uh, Do I Speak for the World? And those of you who've never heard that album, it's one that Marcus and I have have referenced before. And we've said we've encouraged people who like R&B music to go listen to this. It's one of his most it. Well, it is his most socially conscious album that he did um you know dr uh, who cornell west is actually on this uh, on this album uh, and so it's an interesting album to listen to but we used the song marcus crucify me um as the theme music for the uh for the show because we figured we were probably going to get crucified from some, <laughs> for some of the things that we said and time to time that almost right. happened from some of the things that dr harvey would actually um <laughs> would actually say on the show right <laughs> Yeah, I'm guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I. It is, it is interesting to think about the um, the the sort of musical genealogy of the show. Right. Thinking back to to crucify me, and then I'm thinking also about the transition that we made from uh, from WRES to BPR in 2017, mm-hmm. um, and making the decision to sort of shift from um, crucify me. Um, to, you know, which, as you pointed out, sort of squarely within the R&B genre uh, to the jazz, the jazz genre, which is mm-hmm. very much more so uh, sort of my preference and looking at Herbie Hancock's catalog, right, um, for for inspiration in that in, in, in that respect. And so, yeah, I, I think that um, 
I think that it's been for me. It has been um, it, it has been generative. It has been it has been exciting to to be able to um, introduce um, our show. These very deep, challenging conversations that we ha- that we've had over the years um, with different um, musical genres. Right again, mm-hmm. beginning with R and B, now shifting to to jazz, and and it, and, it, and so it seems sort of staying within sort of the jazz yes. the jazz genre, which I think is appropriate because as as one previous guest has uh, pointed out to us, you recall my my doctoral advisor, Dr. Diane Stewart, pointed out that, uh, <laughs> that, um, that, that, that I, the back and forth between the two of us reminded her of a jazz composition. Right? Right, so, right, right. so it seems to me that um, the jazz music is is very much apropos um, mm-hmm. as, as an introduction to, to our conversation. To the show. And, you know, Marcus, if I could step back for one quick minute and just talk about Elder Hayes and the you know difference between us, you know, I, I have to tell the audience this, that at w- one time he did say, you know, the difference between you two guys is that one of you are ready to burn it down the other one is trying to throw water on it all the time so but you know marcus i can't reflect upon the conversations with elder hayes and what really deepened the relationship with him is he had a passion for not only for community but a passion for history and i remember you and i talking to him at one point about okay are we are we talking in language that people can't access and he said you never dumb down the language. You know, you lift people up to where you are, bring them up, make them stretch. So I deeply appreciated his uh, his passion for community and his passion for history. And in many ways, you know, David Feingold, who general manager at, at Blue Ridge Public Radio, who is the one who introduced, uh, who suggested Herbie Hancock's piece from the album New Standard and the song um, that we have been using, or the piece that we've been using up to this point is New York Minute. That was David's idea. So we have David Feingold to kind of thank for that. But it was interesting with David and the conversations that we would have with him because we would go into the studio at WRES and it would be hard to get out of the studio with Elder Hayes because he was so engaged in those conversations. He wanted the conversations to continue even after you and I had exhausted ourselves doing a show. We had to stay back and talk with him for a while. We found that we were, we found ourselves kind of in the same relationship with David with David mm-hmm. Feingold as well. But we have learned so much not only from those conversations from each other, but the conversations that we had both with Elder Hayes and the conversations with David Feingold. So we are truly appreciative of how the Waters and Harvey Show project has grown over time. Yeah, and, and I would just say this as we transition to our to our guest momentarily. I, I think one of the things that I, I learned from my um, my time working with uh, Elder Hayes and then later um, David Feingold uh, is that you know our, our our graduate school training, and I think Darren, you would agree. Um, it doesn't necessarily teach us how to, I mean, it teaches us how to talk to other people in within our guild, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily equip us with the, you know, with, with the ability to, to, again, to translate our technical guild-based training for a broader audience. And I think that these conversations um, or, you know, th- this ongoing uh, work with, with Elder Hayes um, or the work we did with him and also the work that we did with, uh, with David Feingold later, sort of at least speaking for myself, forced me to develop this sort of ability, this skill, right? Um, to confront the challenge of learning how to make uh, uh, my, my research uh, relevant, 
right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, To mm -hmm. the community and to the issues that um, the local community and now at this point, you know, the broader state and national communities uh, find themselves uh, wrestling with. And so, again, I'm I'm grateful to both Elder and, um, and David Feingold for that. All right. Well, Marcus, as we get ready to transition into this conversation with with uh, the members of the, the group, the core, um, one thing I do want to say to our audience is to thank you all again for uh, continuing to engage in these conversations with us. Um, Marcus and I appreciate the feedback that we continue to get. And Marcus, I did want to bring up because, you know, the shows kind of connect with each other. You know, we will reference something from the last show. That last show that we did with Dr. Olive Globe, one of the things I'll say there about that show is that uh, we had a coup of sorts because we got him to admit something about the United States that Oliver is not always inclined to admit. And that is that the United States in one way is a a bit progressive. Um, And he had to admit that at the very end. So that was a coup for for us there. Anyone who knows Dr. Globe really well. So I'm just taking a pot shot at at our colleague. But it was an admission through gritted teeth. Let's let's be clear. It was. It was. And Marcus, that show generated a number of comments from folks, but one in particular stood out to me from Dr. Luther Barnes. Uh, no, Luther Barnhart, who is is a regular listener to the show. Luther, we know you're out there. We thank you for the support that you continue to give to Marcus and I. Thank you for the feedback that you give us. You know, he wrote in, and I think, Marcus, this is something for us to take up in a later show, because we were talking about the issue of race and racism and looking at it not only from the perspective of the United States, but also the perspective of France in that particular show. And he wondered in his email to me about the use of the term race. And he said, you know, we have in the show that we did with Malia, when Malia was on the show with us and we talked about uh, the whole reparations issue, Malia brought up, we know that race is a social construct. This is a conversation that we've been having within uh, academic communities for uh, within the academy for a while. It is. And. Dr. Barnhart is wondering how can we get beyond this conversation of race and looking at us all as members of the human race. And so I think that this is worth us kind of taking up at some point. I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, that Dr. Barnhart sent that comment in and it really kind of resonated with me. I have responded to him, but it's a conversation I'd like to come back to. Yeah, definitely. I would just say just quickly before we transition, I, I don't I don't know that you get beyond race without first wrestling with it right <laughs> and, and its history and the 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 um just the devastation that it has wrought um i, I think you have to deal with that first um mm-hmm. and i would also add that i'm not sure that there is at the end of the day and in, in, in the north american context finally any getting beyond race but as you said that's a separate show that's right separate. right well you're listening to the waters and harvest show on blue ridge public radio we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment
So welcome back to the Waters and Harvest show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Today, we're talking about jazz with members of the band, the core, who recorded our new theme song, Leroy. And so we're glad to welcome them into this conversation now. We have with us today, let me just introduce them by name. We're so glad that you all are here with us, guys. Uh, We have Justin Ray, we have Jacob Rodriguez, and also Bill Barris. So it is great to have all of you in here with us today. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. And the one thing that we have to say, you know, this is kind of a UNC Asheville moment, right? (laughs) Because we are all colleagues at UNC Asheville. Um, So guys, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having us. So Marcus and I have told you how we're really excited about this new theme song that um, that you all have allowed us to use. And we're looking forward to using it. Marcus, you have to tell um, you have to talk about how you responded to it. Both of us responded to this song right off the bat. Bill, you know, I had a conversation with you about the possibility of maybe you all taking this on as a project, thinking, well, you might work on something new or maybe even inviting some students into this process to see what we could come up with. You said to me, look, you know, I've got some ideas. I've got a couple of things I'd like to suggest. This was one of the first tracks that you sent. And the moment I heard it, I just said, this is, this is the piece. Let's see if we can get this one. Marcus, your response was the same. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, when I, cause I, obviously I hadn't heard it before, but, um, um, upon hearing it, I was just really struck by the uh, the energy of the piece, I think it kind of has a, a reflective attitude or personality or mood that definitely fits, uh, I think, the character of the show. So, again, I just couldn't be I couldn't be more excited about 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 this new theme music. Yeah. So thank you. So what, the one place I think I'd like to, to start and Justin, Jacob, or Bill, whoever wants to jump in here, just please just jump in. But tell us about the band, the core. Just tell us a little bit about the band. How long have you all been together and what brought you together? Well, Jacob and I uh, moved here in 2008 and we've been playing. We've been playing together in various contexts before that. And then, Bill, you got here in 2010. Is that right? 2011. 2011. And we initially put together a band dedicated to playing nothing but the classics of the hard bop genre. So, so lots, lots of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, lots of Horace Silver. And we did that for four or five years and then deci- decided after doing that for a while that we wanted to kind of keep the same personnel in the band, but do nothing but original compositions by band mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the transition coming out of playing all these tunes from the hard bop genre. Lots of, lots of Lee Morgan music, actually. No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Transitioning into doing more original music. (laughs) So, you know, and it it occurs to me, uh, Justin here to ask you, because you and I've had a chance to talk a little bit. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, you are from, are you from New Mexico? I'm from New Mexico. Mexico. Uh So Jacob uh, and Bill, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? I mean, I know the university kind of brings us all together, but if you could just give us an idea of of a little bit of your background. Go ahead, Jacob. You got this. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, for the most part, I'm, I'm from all over the country, but for the most part, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, which has a pretty vibrant youth, um, middle school, high school, band jazz scene so that's that's kind of where i got my start with it 
And I'm from I'm from Omaha. <laughs> oh, God. That's right, Bill. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, uh, like Jacob, I grew up playing. I played trumpet and and uh, was really serious about that all the way through high school. It was kind of a strong band band tradition there. And then uh, after going to college on the East Coast, I moved back to Omaha as a piano player, and I discovered a totally different side of Omaha, kind of playing piano than oh, I wow. playing trumpet. So wow. Yeah. Marcus, go ahead. Yeah, I, and and, I, and I, I had a sort of a question that kind of goes back to uh, to to Justin's comments about about sort of starting with the focus on the hard vibe genre. And then, you know, this is a bit of an aside, but you know, I think about Bob, I think about people like, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, for example. Um, what, what was it about hard bop? What, what was it about hard bop? Right. It was, attra- and, and that initially attracted attracted you. For me, it was like, yeah, yeah for me, it was the, my first almost like. Like I went from not being, I played trumpet in high school, but I wasn't all that interested in it. And then I transitioned into playing, I heard Lee Morgan and all of a sudden wanted to be a jazz musician. So it was a very, like, I I discovered him as a youngster. And so he's been a really powerful influence for me. But then I remember having a conversation when, not long after Bill moved to town, we had played a gig or a jam session somewhere and we were hanging out after. Tresses. Yeah, Tresses. And he turned to me and he said, do you like hard bop? <laughs> it was like this. Yeah. And it's sort of like he looked into my soul. Really in, like really was, question, yeah. yeah. And so that was sort of the beginning of the, the whole, you know, the hard bop explosion as it transitioned into the core. So that's been, we've been, so we've been together as a, as a band in one form or another for the last 10 years now. Okay. Now, now how many members of the band are there? Uh, Justin or whoever it's a quint- wants to It's a quintet trumpet. Okay. Jacob plays the saxophone, Bill plays piano, Zach Page is our bassist, and Evan Martin plays the drums. Okay. Now, you you all play locally here, right? Um, how can people catch how can people catch um, any performances that you're doing? We have we have our, usually we post things on our Facebook page, which is the Core Jazz. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure that's true. That is true. We're usually playing one Monday a month at Little Jumbo. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of been that's kind of our home base in okay. Asheville. Has turned into that, and then just the kind of things come down the pipe as they do. You know, oh. now that things are opening back up, I hope there'll be a lot of summer performances. Right. 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 Well, you know, one thing since we're we're talking about the song Leroy, and you've mentioned Lee Morgan here, you know, Justin, you told me about what inspired this song, and I think are you you're the writer. You wrote yes. this this one um and i know jacob you write some of the pieces for the band as well but justin you know just tell us what did inspire this particular song leroy um is it sort of occurred to me after i wrote it i mean it's not, i don't even think of it as a tribute to because the, the name leroy means lee morgan and roy hargrove who were two of mm-hmm. my biggest influences as a trumpet player and composer and i don't even really mean it as a tribute because i feel like because of their heavy influence on me, I feel like you could take any piece that I wrote and say that it was a tribute to them because they've influenced me so heavily. But when I got done writing Leroy, it occurred to me that's, that I felt like it's a piece that they could have collaborated on. <laughs> and so that's why, that's why I called it that because it, 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 I felt like it had such strong characteristics of each of their composing styles right. that I thought, yeah. Now, it, it really is interesting because, Marcus, I don't know if you want to go here or not, but I'm opening the door for you. You know, on the, the name Leroy, it's a common name, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. It's funny. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about it until after I'd already, like, typed it out on the paper and said it out loud. <laughs> yeah, and then... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, I, I have no problem admitting, you know, when I first saw the song title, I was like, what? <laughs> Leroy? <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, no, so, so this, is, this, this, is, this is fascinating. So, so 
I'm thinking, and anybody, you know, feel free to to, to respond to this. Um, uh, I, you know, as someone who who is who is been sort of into jazz at least since my days at Morehouse as a college student um you know it, it's always fascinating to me to sort of to sort of chart sort of the sort of genealogical to sort of chart the influences that jazz musicians have upon one another over time right um and yeah. so I'm just curious to hear um maybe Justin and others as well who, who want to weigh in um what what had sort of who were sort of Lee Morgan and Roy Hargrove as jazz artists Right. And, and what has been their influence, right, on, 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 your, on your musicianship, right, both individually and, and as, a, as a band? Well, to me, that's one of the things I like about, I mean, to me, the lines between, like, like you said, Dizzy, the line between Dizzy yeah. and Lee is almost direct. It kind of goes through Clifford Brown and Fats Navarro, uh-huh. and you, get, you can uh-huh. kind of combine these stylists. And then, and then if you trace from Lee Morgan down to Freddie Hubbard down to, you know, Wynton Marsalis, and you get to Roy, like, the, the lineage to me is so... It's, it's there to be seen pretty with, with a, just a little bit of study, I think. And, and you, you see them and not, not to say that they're all direct descendants of each other because they all have their personality quirks. And that's one of the things that first drew me to jazz is like, you have like, you have this, this lineage of trumpet players that are all influenced by each other, but you can always, the fact that they can all make this same piece of metal tubing sound so different and sound, fill it with so much personality was one of the first things that drew me to oh, okay. the jazz music and those artists in particular. <clears throat> So anybody else want to jump in here, Bill? I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some expression <laughs> on your face. But, you know, I, yeah, you know, and Justin, you and I had a chance because you know, you uh, talking with you prompted me to go and really look up because I didn't know Roy Hargrove, and mm-hmm. so I took the time you know, to go on YouTube, and I mean, he was a fantastic, fabulous as a young guy, yeah. Um, uh, a trumpet player and it seems to me that his talent man um developed early on so i was i was um i don't want to say disapp- well disappointed to, to learn that he's he's no longer with us um that he passed away but it, did it surprise you that he could develop this type of talent mm-hmm. at such an early age and i'm curious about you know when can you tell when a jazz artist has hit their sweet spot um, in, in, in their development. And Jacob, I see, I see your facial expression. So please, <laughs> yeah. please have that so, yeah. here. Right. <laughs> I think that's a really difficult thing to, to try to assess because like even some of the, the giants in jazz were not appreciated in the moment. I mean, people hated Coltrane when he was first coming up with his new things. And later on, he was way wider appreciated and, and accepted. But I mean, you hear stories about the free jazzers coming to New York and it was bad, it right. was bad. but, but it was a whole new thing that people came to love and appreciate later on, you know? So it, let me, is that common across music genres um, that you, you know, you have this, you know, this lack of appreciation for artists until, you know, later on, is this more of uh, something that we, we get with jazz? And, and the reason why I'm kind of asking that question, and then Marcus, you jump in here too, I, I would consider myself still a novice when it comes to, to the jazz genre. I've been a big R&B fan for a long time. You know, some of my favorite jazz artists, as I think about, and Bill, uh, 
uh, who would it be? Joe Sample. I love Joe Sample as a pianist um, and Ellis Marcellus. But it's something about the piano that I'm, I'm just kind of drawn to. And I think that probably has a lot to do with my grandfather, who was uh, a pianist and played um, really classical, very classical pianist. He could do some jazz. He did a little bit of that, but mostly kind of in that classical, classical and traditional uh, area. But um, because I and I'm asking that question because, you know, as a kid, I remember listening to uh, jazz. If you think about hard bop and thinking that a lot of this sounds like noise to me, you know, and you still hear so many people who say that. How do you respond to that to that kind of question? Um, and I hope that that's a, 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 a sensible question that I'm asking. I'm kind of asking you all here. Is it my turn? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I played with, uh, I played with, uh, Ira Sullivan who recently passed in Miami and he, he played with Charlie Parker and, uh, Dizzy and all those, all those folks. Um, and he said he's, he spent his whole life looking for the pretty notes, whatever those are. Okay. He's, we've been looking for him his whole life. So I don't think you ever quite get to that point where you feel like you've, you know, you've perfected whatever it is you're trying to put in front of, in, in front of an audience, you know, and so it does, it does sound, I mean, what the audience I think responds to is the search for those notes and no. it might not come out, you know, but, but the audience, you know, if, if the audience is good, they're, they're on that journey with you, you know, they're listening. And if you're not willing to take that journey, then of course it's going to sound, it's going to sound pretty. Out. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, Bill, I really appreciate that. But Marcus, let me let you jump in here. Yeah. I, and I, I'm a question I sort of have for all three of you. So I, you know, just, you know, just to, to be transparent. So I grew up, you know, uh, with parents who exposed me to you know, Oscar Peterson, you know, um, Art Tatum, McCoy Tyner. I mean, so, so, so much of my early exposure to, to jazz was really focused on jazz pianist, right? Um, uh, and 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 there, there were other artists as well that I was exposed to: uh, Art Blakey, Miles Davis, of course, Coltrane. Um, you know, these are sort of canonical figures um, in in the American jazz tradition. Um, but sort of sort of picking up on 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 Darren's question about, um, you know, so from the perspective of someone who's a, sort of who is either a jazz novice or who hasn't really um, engaged jazz um, deeply, um, I'm curious to hear from from each of you what what so as as professional musicians right um what is it about jazz that sort of attracted you to to this particular genre i think that uh part of what's interesting about jazz is is that um like like blues music for example i mean it is it, it can be pointed to as one of the uh sort of uniquely i think sort of uniquely um sort of american uh, cultural idioms, right? That it has that has origins um, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So anyway, I'm, I'm just curious to hear what, what was there something about jazz in particular that sort of caused you to gravitate toward it? Um, was it more of an accidental thing? Uh, uh, so it's just any thoughts about that would be would be greatly appreciated. I mean, sort of just piggybacking on what I said before. Sort of as a trumpet player, like learning how to make sound on the trumpet, and then discovering all these people that were that had all kinds of different solutions to that problem as to how to make mm -hmm. beautiful sounds on the trumpet and they were like you know for every great trumpet player you heard they had a different solution to that problem here's my version of the beautiful sound you know <laughs> and that's the first thing that really like sort of like that that, that you know and it was sort of like you know you had to dig for it because if you just listen to the, like 
you know, it doesn't, it, it might not immediately like just a, a novice jazz listener might just hear a trumpet and think, Oh, it's the trumpet. You know what I mean? So you definitely have to do a little digging, but I think definitely rewards. If you want to spend a little time with each of these people, you kind of see like, and going back to Darren's comment about the sweet spot, like, and about Lee Morgan and Roy Hargrove in particular, I feel like that had two kind of separate sweet spots mm-hmm. and you can hear like Lee Morgan as a 19 year old and being like, you, I, I feel like you can tell in his sound and his exuberance that he's almost surprised by how, how good he sounds. You know what I mean? The, the way that, mm-hmm. that people who get good at something very young do. And then as you hear him as an older man, he only lived to be 32, actually. So older. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. well, well. But you, I feel like you can hear the weight of the world, even in his sound. As he is, as he, you know, as he, as he's gone through the world and he's, he recovered from addiction a handful of times. And I feel like you can hear a lot of these early problems that, that, you know, they put themselves in his sound. And so that's what really attracted me to jazz, I think. Wow. You know, and, you know, Justin, I really appreciate that. And, and Bill, something that you said about the search, I'm going to use that one because, you know, Mark is talking about, you know, this idea that jazz, I I read Stanley Crouch a lot, who Mm -hmm. is a a social critic. And he wrote a lot about jazz talking about the relationship between the blues and and the jazz. And I'd love to get your take on that. But before we kind of jump in, jump into that because I could go, you know, down another whole path on this idea of the search and thinking about the American experience and what it means. And if we do look at jazz as a, uh, as kind of the quintessential art, the original American art form that it gives to the world, you know, what does that say about who we are as a nation, the continued search, and if we're willing to be on that search. So I love that bill. So I'm going to steal that. So I'm just, I'm just warning you now on that one, but you brought, um, Justin, you all brought in a couple of, uh, tracks that we would love for the audience to be able to hear and just sample. And so, if you could just kind of introduce us to the first one here and just, just tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Jacob, you want to take that? I think the first one is, is yours. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so this is a song that I wrote called Vega and um, it kind of coincides with a couple of things. When I was a kid, I loved to go to the arcade and play street fighter two. And that was my favorite character in that game. Um, but I also happened to be doing some like random middle of the night reading about stars and I was learning about the star Vega and it kind of crossed into a composition the next day um, um, that led to um, I think the next rehearsal and it all worked out so right well great so we're going to share a piece uh, a sample of that with with the audience now So, Jacob, you guys, thank you for sharing that with the audience. So um, I know that you have another track that we're going to do here in just a, a few minutes. But I wanted to ask you, um, how can an audience how can the audience that is interested in getting your music 
is there somewhere where they can you know pick up your music uh where where can marcus and i kind of point them to um i think that if i'm correct the the song the title track that we're using now as the theme music for the show is a part of a larger album project right can do you want to talk a little bit about that project Do you want me to? Okay. Yeah, anybody. It's from our our second album. We have a a self-titled first album, and then our second album is called Turning Point, which is a composition by Bill Bears that appears on the album. And you can get that on iTunes. You can stream it on any of the streaming services. We have, I think we have vinyl. We have actual vinyl records for sale on our website, Mm thecorejazz.com. And those are the best three ways to do it. I, I mean, I personally am... You know, I like the vinyl an awful lot. I think it sounds really cool, but okay. you can, but you can get you you can you can stream or buy the music anywhere that you you know. Just look for the core or the core jazz. Well, thank you. Well, once again, we want to remind you: you're listening to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Waters and Harvey Show on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Today, we're talking about jazz with members of the band, the core, who recorded our new theme song. And so we're, we're really glad to have you guys here. Marcus, I don't know about you, but I'm having fun with this conversation. It's just kind of freewheeling and um, kind of like jazz can be, right? Okay, yeah. So let yeah. me let you jump in here. For yeah, the next absolutely. Question. And I, 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 I remember when I was at Morehouse, I, this is my senior year, and I took uh, what was one of my favorite courses. It was, it was kind of a, you know, Gen Ed course, but but the course was t- entitled History of Jazz, mm-hmm. and um, in that course, I, I learned um, a lot about uh, you know, and I, and I at, the, at the time I was kind of I didn't know a lot about jazz, sort of historically, culturally, intellectually, so I was surprised at how much the professor talked about the blues. I'm like, I thought, I thought this was a course on jazz. Right? <laughs> so, so I'm just curious to hear from you all of, as professional, again, jazz artists, uh, how do you understand that relationship um, between you know the blues idiom and the jazz idiom um uh is that is is that an important relationship for listeners to understand um as they perhaps decide to to explore um uh, jazz music and or uh blues music so any thoughts about that relationship Jake Jacob's yeah. looking at me like he wants to. <laughs> uh, go ahead Bill uh yeah, I, I sort of, you know, I've done some research uh, on jazz in Europe and actually was overseas in Europe at uh, festivals and I was interviewing American musicians who'd go over there and then European musicians. So I kind of got the panoply of uh, perspectives there. And uh, uh, it was really interesting because I, I found that the American musicians, when they had something to criticize about the European productions, it was that that blues element was missing. So, um, you know, I, I do feel like there's a quite a bit that now is contained under the jazz umbrella, but for certain people, if they don't hear that blues element, you know, if it, you know, it, it can go south pretty quickly. <laughs> and, uh, so we, we, we loved hard bop because it's kind of anchored pretty firmly into that, into that bluesy thing. Um, and, uh, and I think our original music is kind of coming out of that hard bop thing quite a bit. And so we feel we feel pretty anchored to it, but other groups don't, you know, and uh, that's their choice. And, and Bill and Bill, when you talk about the, the bluesy element, so I remember I remember learning about things like, you know, the the 
the the well-worn 12-bar blues structure, right? And how that is infused so many other musical genres, rock and roll, early rock and roll, for example. Um, but what what when, when when you talk about that that bluesy element, I think that's how that's how you termed mm-hmm. it. What do you mean, Bill? I mean, are you talking about because there because there are some scholars who would talk about blues in terms of a kind of a form a form of creative catharsis, right? That that, mm-hmm. that is a way of sort of musically um uh dealing with human suffering that so that's kind of more more i guess a more of a philosophical approach to that music but from a from a musical perspective bill what what is that bluesy element that that informs jazz if if, 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 if that's a fair question for you man i'm gonna throw that to jacob <laughs> <laughs> you know i i'll just let me just let me just interrupt here and say yeah. piano has its own limitations right it, mm-hmm. it's a great instrument but it comes to it's anchored it's it was born in europe right and it doesn't have any kind of microtonal capacity whatsoever it's mm-hmm. tempered and so you have to crush some notes and do some different things uh pull push and pull the time to achieve bluesy effects and i feel like the saxophone is a much more appropriate well wow. okay you know, or, or capable instrument maybe so that's why i threw that to jacob and, and also your turn that's a that's a good <laughs> that's a good assist <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and to go to go back to an earlier question, Marcus, that's kind of what drew me to the saxophone too, was the very human element of it. Mm. Um, it's it's really funny. Whenever I practice in my house, my security cameras go off outside, and it says, "We think we hear a person talking." And uh, <laughs> oh wow, that, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I think I think there is that element of expression that you can get across in the saxophone. You can do it in the trumpet, but I, I see what Bill's talking about with limitations in terms of being a fixed instrument. Um, but yeah, um, you can hear a person cry through their instrument. You can hear a person's um, like happiness, uh, complete and utter sorrow um, be displayed in, 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 in the notes that they play and the way that they play them. Um, so I, I feel like that is something to go back to what Bill was talking about with the European sensibility of that. That yeah, maybe it was more strict and more very rigid in the way that they're mm-hmm. playing. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, when, when the stuff that we were talking about with the with the um, the the hard bop and the soul jazz and stuff like that, man, yeah, you can you can hear a person's emotions, expressions coming mm-hmm. out through their horn. Um, and I, should, that, I should I should but, mention just I'm just going to jump in here too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, hard bop, you know, the two, tri- the two main tributaries is coming out of bebop, right? But, uh, you know, there were a lot of people that were sort of imitating that bebop sound. It was kind of getting watered down, say, on the West Coast, especially. And so there was a hard bop. There's a deliberate attempt to it, infuse it with blues and, but also gospel sensibility. Okay. And so, and I, I feel like those two are closely linked, especially with what you were talking about, Marcus, with, you know, so go ahead, Jacob. It sounds like I think you want to, yeah. No, no, to, just to wrap up that idea, too. I mean, and, that, and that's something that um, and Bill mentioned a great phrase earlier, a good audience. Um, but um, any audience, everybody can sing, whether they're good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a listener, you can hear me on the saxophone and you can relate to what's happening with the way that I'm playing expression through my heart. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that's something that, that, peop, that a layman can, can 
grab onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm learning a lot from this conversation and, and, and time is going quickly on us. And I know that you brought another track with you, right, Justin? So I want to give a chance to sample that track as well. So can you tell us what this track is that we're going to listen to a few uh, minutes of uh, maybe sure, 30 k- seconds of this? I'm going to kick that to Bill because this is his composition. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is called Turning Point. Um, it was written... Uh, I guess Darren and Marcus, you could probably maybe relate to having a moment in your career where it's the academic doldrums and things are not maybe uh, quite as clear to you. And so, um, so this was written in one of those moments and it actually, um, or maybe right after one of those moments, uh, uh, suddenly clarity emerged, right? And so it's called Turning Point and it really is kind of about that. So it's, it's got a little bit of uncertainty in the beginning of the piece and then there's, there's a moment of resolve that happens halfway through. Again, I want to thank you, uh, all of you all, for allowing us to sample these two pieces as well as um, as well as the new theme song for the show um, and for giving us kind of the backstory on, you know, what inspired these these two pieces. Um, you know, a couple of things, you know, there's a lot that I can ask here. And Bill, I really want to go back to the search, but we don't we don't have time to do that uh to do that here. So, you know, Marcus knows that one of my kind of uh, MOs on the show is to always commit people to coming back to have a, another conversation with us. So, you know, I already want to do that with you guys to, to get you to come back and have a deeper conversation. But I'm just curious, as we think about jazz artists, you know, just recently, I re-listened to uh, one of my favorite uh, jazz compositions was by Max Roach. Uh, we insist um, the uh, his we insist uh, piece Freedom Now Suite. And I was recently listening to that. And it made me wonder in thinking about this show, you know, besides, uh, you know, Justin, anybody jump in here besides Lee Morgan, we've talked a lot about Lee Morgan and Roy Hargrove. Who would you who who else would you identify as your favorite, you know, kind of your favorite jazz artist? Oh man, that's a whole other show. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just for Justin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, that whole trumpet lineage we were talking about. For, for me, it kind of starts with Louis Armstrong, mm. and then you get to like, and then Dizzy Gillespie kind of changed the game, and then there's all the offshoots of Dizzy, and then you get up to sort of more modern times with like Wynton Marsalis, who spawned a whole new generation, including Roy Hargrove, Nicholas Payton, and all these guys, and it's just this, you know. It's just this, these many tributaries that come kind of out of Louis Armstrong and then just keep flowing in a lot of different directions. Yeah. So. And, you know, Justin, before Jacob, you and Bill jump in here to 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 add to this, you know, Marcus and I just had the, uh, the not too long ago, the great pleasure of having uh, Mitch 
Landrew, the former mayor of New Orleans, on the show to do an interview. And boy, did he talk a lot about Louis Armstrong mm-hmm. and about uh, Wynton Marcellus, who Marcellus, he yeah. kind of grew up. He grew up with Wynton Marcellus. So it was, you know, that was a very interesting conversation with with uh, with Mitch. But Jacob and Bill, favorite jazz artist. <clears throat> um, a big one for me, kind of coming out of high school into early college, I fell in love with Charles Mingus. And he's not a saxophone player, but he had a bunch of great saxophone players in his ensembles. And if you want to talk about blues and expression, the way, I mean, Mingus's music is heavily influenced by the church. It's very gospel, very mm-hmm. blues. It's uh, I, I, some of my favorite compositions as well. Very, very dense. Um, mm-hmm. and, and amazing saxophonist in and out of that band, his bands, uh, until he right. died. It's something to, you know about the spirit that is there. I think you know Jacob, you bringing that up, it makes me think of another one of my favorite artists, saxophonists is uh, is Kurt Whalem, and oh, yeah. I really like Kurt Whalem's music. And the, to watch him and George Duke um, actually play together, I mean that's an amazing show to just watch. But thanks for bringing that up, Jacob and Bill. How about you? So when I was younger, I was into The Flash. I was into Oscar Peterson. I was into Art Tatum. I was into all that stuff. And and as I've gotten older, I, um, I've, I've kind of really settled on two, which are Ramsey Lewis um, and Errol Garner. And both of them kind of took the piano trio concept and just took it directly to the people. It was just very like you're trying to do with the show, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's much more direct. And, um, and then Errol Garner just does, especially Errol Garner, I would say, is just a magician on the piano. Um, if anybody, and there's just nobody that, that could do what he did. Um, right. there, there's a certain push and pull between, you know, I try, I try to transcribe it, but I can't get the, I can't get you it. Can't, and I don't wow. know anybody that can, yeah. you know, they can get wow. close, but. Oh, wow. Marcus. Yeah, I, I would just throw in here. It's difficult to pinpoint one, but I mean, but I think about one of my favorite jazz compositions and this is uh, footprints by Wayne shorter. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that Wayne emerges as one of my favorite jazz composers. Um, artist. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say, I, I will say this. I will say that one of the performances that I saw as a, as a kid, which my father had recorded on VHS. I mean, I'm dating myself, but it was a, it was a recording of a, of, of a Miles Davis performance. Um, and what struck me is that Miles was performing with his back to the audience. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is he doing? But, but that, 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 that way of, of, I guess, performing jazz helped me to understand that at least from Miles's perspective, you know, it wasn't about him. Right. Yeah. It was about sort of forcing the audience to deal with mm-hmm. his creative language. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that for me, I think, is, is what is so is so potent about um, um, so many different um, genres of, of jazz music. Um, but I, I guess I would say, though, that um, it's hard for me to move away from Oscar Peterson, Bill. I mean, I could, because I grew up with him and I mean, I've heard him perform so many different covers and standards. And um, yeah, I mean, he's he's um, was just masterful. He's masterful. And you know, so it's, it's hard for me to, yeah, go ahead, Bill. I'd just like to interject an anecdote where he was on Mary McPartland and they were, she was asking him what his hobbies were. You know, some people would say fishing or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. He's like also playing piano. well one last before we we close out here time goes too fast um you know just uh 
Look, how do you guys feel about being in partnership with us? And how does it feel to know that we're going to be using your song, Leroy, as the theme music for the Waters and Harvey show? And thank you again for, for doing yeah. that. But how does that feel to you guys? I mean, I, I know we're all honored, but I, I, was, I especially liked hearing the conversation you guys were having in the beginning about how you developed this friendship about, you know, and you have these interesting conversations, but you wanted to figure out a way to make to take your conversations and have them communicate to people who maybe weren't the beneficiaries of your education or, or some of the things that you, and I feel like Leroy for me and like the stuff that we do as a band, I feel like is very similar in that way where we come together and we bring a lot of like, you know, education and ability musically, but we really want to make sure that like we're communicating something to a, a wider audience, right. you know? And I think that's real, you know, I'm just, it was so good, cool to hear you guys say that because I feel like that's something that we try to do with with our music as well. So I think it's a good, it's a good partnership, if you will. <laughs> well, Justin, thank you. And and Jacob and Bill, thank you both. And Marcus and I have been doing some new things. And Marcus, I can't help but think here as we get ready to close the show out about, you know, the live shows that we've done uh, recently. And I know that there is a desire on our uh, behalf and a part of the Blue Ridge Public Radio team to eventually be really live, not just live on, you know, live streaming in a webinar or on Zoom, but actually be on stage. And I would love it, Justin, Jacob, and Bill, if we could get you guys as a band to kind of join us for one of these kind of larger community conversations that Marcus and I hope to do at some point in the future. And I just want to thank you again for giving us the honor and the privilege of having this music as a part of the show. Marcus, thank you. All. Thank you all. Absolutely. Thank you. Right. Thank, you both. thank you so much. And again, as Marcus and I get ready to close out, we want to remind you all that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. You can follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter or write us at whshow at BPR.org. And Marcus and I will look forward to joining you next time with new music. Take care. Take care.